Welcome to the Talent Talk with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. Welcome to another episode of the Talent Talk with Robert Waters podcast, recording on a sunny, wintry Tuesday morning, coming to you from the comfort of our home offices. Over the coming months, we're going to be speaking with leaders across the Robert Waters UK leadership team, along with industry guests discussing their career successes, advice, and to get their quick take on what they are seeing in the market. I'm Steve Church, a consultant in the finance team here at Robert Waters London, looking after the professional services space. And joining us today, we have Camilla Jagger. Camilla obtained a law degree and then took a path into finance, trained and qualified in industry whilst with Hogan Lovells, Bertram Dyson Bell and Ashurst, most recently at Denton's where she has continued to progress to becoming the divisional practice manager within banking and finance. Today we'll be discussing Camilla's journey from law graduate to where she is now and how she got there. Welcome to the podcast Camilla, how are you and what can only be described as a bit of a bizarre 2020? I'm very well, thank you, Steve. Um, Yeah, definitely a bizarre 2020. Who would have thought this time last year that we would have all spent the best part of nine months um, working not from our offices and uh, all having to do it very quickly at very short notice? Yeah, I completely agree. Sort of um, of working nine months from home for most of us has been a yeah bit of a bit of an odd one but um i'm keen to keen to get started and um what i'd initially like to talk about because um your career is a bit different um from others i'd like to talk about kind of the transition you took from obtaining that sort of law degree to then deciding to take a route into finance it'd be great to hear a bit more about that yes absolutely um yeah where my my journey's not not all that common um but actually there's a few of us around in the industry so uh, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I think watching Ali McBeal as a, okay. as a, as a child. Um, I did my work experience when I was 15 at a, at a small law firm in Northamptonshire where I'm from. And when I went on to, to do my A-levels, I did maths, economics, law and English. Um, everybody else in my family is in medicine. So I made sure I wasn't going to do a science. Um, joined university and I absolutely loved my degree. Um, I came top of my year at university, won several awards, and at that point was still very determined um, to become a lawyer. Whilst I was in my degree, actually, we were uh, in the throes of the last recession, so there weren't actually any training contracts out there. It was about sort of 2008, 2009, while I was at university. So I then went on to do my LPC that, that I self-funded, and it was then that I realised, actually, the day-to-day role of a lawyer is not what you study. It it isn't as fast paced. It isn't all about going to court and and having these big debates over precedents and statutes. Not quite Um, the same as, uh, not quite the same as Ali McBeal then. No, not quite the same as Ali McBeal. And um, I really had to give a lot of thought to what I wanted. And I finished my LPC and equally did well in that, but decided I needed to take some time. I'd actually worked um, three jobs the whole way through university in my LPC, so I had savings. So I declared to my parents I was going to go and um, volunteer and work in South America while I decided what I wanted to do with my life, um, which went down really well. I had to write write a, a thousand word assignment, basically, explaining to them the advantages and disadvantages of letting me go. Quite amusing at the time. <laughs> wow. 
Um, none of that included the, uh, the inordinate amount of alcohol I also consumed while I was there, but they don't need to know about that. Um, but no, I, while I was there, I decided actually, what did I really enjoy? And I had, I had the time to think about it and analysis. Um, I really enjoyed my economics A-level. Um, I've always been an avid reader of the FT and looking at business and, and analysis. So decided actually and a role in accounting was was where I thought my skill set would be complementary, but not moving completely away from law. I'd look for a role within the legal sector, which well, it is still a sector that even at that point I wanted to be close to and I wanted to to remain in. So I returned. I returned from South America and was looking looking for roles and was fortunate enough to come along a role at Hogan Lovells, where I I joined the team there. Um, initially an entry-level role and was there um, for a few weeks before I was promoted to a revenue control role. How was that um, How was that initial kind of period at Hogan Lovells? Did you find there was a big difference sort of going into that initial sort of that finance function in comparison to say when you're in sort of being a paralegal over a legal firm? Was there a, was there a much of a difference in terms of sort of the atmosphere and everything there? Or? Yeah, it's a really... Uh, collaborative atmosphere and I think actually the finance functions within law firms have a real mix of people who've been in in the teams for a long time as well as um, a lot of roles that that people are quite new to so it's actually a, a really good place to be a junior because people really do invest in the juniors in law firms um, and that, I, that goes across the board for me forever I've worked but at Hogan Levels I sort of sat with a group of ladies who were um, all sort of 10 years plus having, having been at the firm. And it was a lot of fun as well as a lot of hard work. So did you, um, what were the next steps then from Hogan Lovells after you uh, sort of found that you were enjoying finance? Was it, um, I, th- I see that you went on sort of Bircham, Dyson, Bell. Was it just sort of progressing through the, uh, through the next steps really? Or? Yeah, I think one, one of the things that uh, exists in much larger organisations is more of a segregation of responsibilities. So when I was now having got the experience determined I was gonna go down the accounting route, I sat down uh, with the finance director and we sort of discussed opportunities, but I couldn't do both the way that the structure structure was at Hogan Lovells. So when the opportunity came up to, to go to Bertram Dyson Bell and support the business manager there, and my role there was going to be more along the financial analysis as well as uh, revenue management route. I decided that in order to gain the experience that, that I'd need to do my qualifications, it, it made sense at that point for me to, to look to expand sort of my sets of responsibilities a bit further. Okay, I, I see. Um, and... So once you'd um, sort of developed that sort of, sort of sector experience within Birchman, Dyson, Bell, uh, then you moved on to Ashurst, was that right? Yeah, so I was at Birchman, Dyson, Bell um, for a little while, and then a couple of roles actually came up um, synonymously at um, Ashurst. And one was on the commercial financial analysis side, and one was just on the purely financial analysis side. So I actually applied for both, um, interviewed for both, and um actually one of the best interview processes I've ever been through and uh we sort of got to final final interview and it was a bit a bit of a running joke that the two heads of function were 
doing a bit of a dragon's den on trying to sell me both of their of their functions but <laughs> we decided that I would be better placed at that point in my career to go into the financial analysis team because my experience up to that point had been heavily on the commercial side so in order to make sure that I had that well-rounded um, sort of base that I'd spent some time in in the financial analysis team working for Mark Evans at the time so I, I joined that team. Um, I was in the role for about a year before I was moved over into the commercial finance team, um, where I was sort of a, me a member of the team for about another year before I was promoted to commercial finance manager, um, looking after a team of about sort of three um, and having some sort of indirect reports as well with the rates, rates teams and, and others. Yeah, it sounds like you were really sort of covering both bases of the commercial finance and the analysis areas, which was uh, sort of just, as you say, kind of making you much more sort of well-rounded in terms of sort of where you were kind of moving on to realistically. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, it was a very difficult decision at the time because when I'd made the decision I wanted to, to go into accounting, unlike a lot of reputations for accountants, I'm actually quite an extrovert. <laughs> I, I really liked the side of commercial I was out in the business um, constantly in meetings and solving problems and I must admit when when we were talking about whether or not to go into into the financial analysis and reporting team it was not something I wanted to do but looking back on on that now it was a really great way of of me making sure that I had the, the fundamental skills that you need to become uh, an accountant and have the the experience of GL codes and reporting and things that had I gone straight onto the commercial and pricing side, I, I might not have got. So really good good experience. For me. I was going to say, I sort of if if you were to sort of offer someone advice who was doing a similar thing, would you say to take a similar path to what you've done in terms of sort of ticking off those uh, those boxes and making sure you're doing that sort of head down accounting. So head down accounting excel spreadsheets um and just making sure you tick off those boxes do you think i personally i think it's one of the better ways to go i think there's there's a lot of people now in um in the in the legal sector who don't do their uh, accounting qualifications there's a lot of people who stay purely on the commercial side and that's absolutely great i think if you want to be purely on the pricing um, and sort of commercial analysis, you don't necessarily have to have those skills. But I do think it is really helpful. I think it also um, increases the opportunities that might be out there for you. Not to say it isn't painful having to go through giving up your weekends to, to do your qualifications or sometimes taking a step away from something you might want to do. Um, but actually, I think it can be beneficial. And one of the things that I did do leaving Bircham Dyson Bell was actually take a pay cut to join Ashurst. Um, and that's another thing I tell people if they can afford to not to be afraid of in order to increase their skills, um, because in the long run, it does pay off. So essentially, sort of taking a small pay cut to sort of broaden your experience and taking a slight step back within pay to kind of take a step forward in your ultimate career goals hopefully yeah exactly I, I think the people I know that m my husband works in the banking sector call it the golden handcuffs and it's quite scary thinking about doing it but um, again it was one of those things that at the time I knew that unless I sort of stepped away from 
from where I was with the revenue control, um, where you sort of get paid overtime and um, lots of other sort of benefits it, to that specialism. I wasn't going to be able to drive forward with with the accounting side of which I enjoyed more. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to now, the sort of divisional practice manager over at Denton's within banking finance is that um, is that where you thought you'd uh, ultimately end up? Then um, sort of what was it that's kind of really appealed to you about kind of that position that you're in now? Um, you know, I. I I don't think I knew where I was going to end up. As I said about uh, one of the funniest interview processes at Ashurst, um, as I was up early for the interview, I sat with uh, John Sutton, one of the directors over there, who asked me where I wanted to be in 10 years' time. I was, I think I was 25 at the time. It's a tough <laughs> and, uh, question to answer when you're 25. And I, I, my response, I think, was sat on that side of the table. which <laughs> He laughed and said, good response. Um, but I, I really didn't know. Um, I, I'm just, if I enjoy something, I, I always sort of go above and beyond. And I think i am kind of got that attitude of, um, it doesn't matter if it's not my job, if it's gonna add to my skill set, if it, it's gonna help um, develop me, taking things on. And that, again, that's another thing I'd, I'd give advice to others to do is quite often you hear people saying, well, it isn't my responsibility or it isn't X. But actually, the more exposure you can get to lots of aspects of the business, the better. And event, the sort of way I've ended up here was actually um, my predecessor at Ashurst resigned. Um, and whilst I was commercial finance manager, I was approached by um, the divisional leader at the time, Helen Burton, and one of the practice heads, Martin Rogers, who said, you don't have the experience to do this job, but we've seen you as commercial finance manager and we think you'd be excellent. Will you apply? Um, so I really had people advocating for me and, and championing me within Ashurst to sort of go for the divisional business manager over there, which I did. Um, the reason I, I was attracted to, to Dentons was a member of my team, James Bissett, and I'd met a few years before. And then when the team was expanding, we sort of met again. And the role I do now goes beyond purely finance. So it's almost like a mini COO within the division. So all aspects of divisional management, um, I'm sort of part of, whether it's partner REM um, or things around HR management and people management and things as well, um, I'm very close to. So again, just developing my skills a bit further. So I suppose, um, sort of, when you were talking about sort of people reaching out to you about this position, it's it's um, sort of it's others seeing qualities in you that aren't necessarily representative on a CV. Then, isn't it? It's people seeing things that you can do that aren't necessarily sort of in the last job description that you've had. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one one of the things that I've been very fortunate for in, in my career is I really have had people advocate for me, and I think one of the reasons for that is actually I think somebody actually told me this once it is actually about having a good attitude and one of my personal brand things is take it on and make it happen um, and that can be anything we when I joined Denton's my divisional leader told me he was he's very into um, as I think we're going to talk about later diversity and inclusion as well and he's very charitable and he sort of said to me look I've, I was listening on the radio about um trying to get um, people with Down syndrome um, into workplaces. And it's something I th think I'd really like, but I've been trying it for a few years and we keep coming across stumbling blocks. So 
I literally took that on as a little side project for myself to, to investigate how it worked with the charities and see if we were the right place for them and then bring them into the into the business. So it's those things that I think make people want to support you to do well. Yeah, I, th I think it's an absolutely brilliant motto to have sort of uh, what you were just saying there. And um, I think it does, uh, it provides a good sort of segue for us to sort of move into sort of um, the sort of chat about uh, sort of diversity and inclusion and about sort of um, sort of women within work, particularly within the legal sector as well. And I think you were saying uh, when you were moving over to Denton's, there were some key figures that kind of influenced that decision. Um, sort of, uh, it'd be good if you could sort of divulge on that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, something I think I will forever uh, feel quite strongly about. I think making senior management at 28 and, and being female in it, it is still a sector where it is evolving around um, females. And I think it's come a long way in the last sort of nine, 10 years since I've been working in the legal sector. Um, but Gent has really appealed to me because when I was looking and doing my research into it, um, Lisa Sewell, who is our managing director, she's not only female, but she is actually not um, from the legal sector. She joined the firm from RBS. And it was one of the first um, law firms out there to have a managing director who isn't a lawyer or isn't a partner. And not only that, but she's also female. So to me, that I found that really is a sign of a firm that was standing behind saying it wanted to do things differently. So really attractive to me. And um, when you look at the stats around the firm, we've, we've got a head of the board who's female, Maddie Smallwood, um, one of the practice leaders I work for, um, Susan Kelly, she's also a very strong female leader. So yeah, there's a lot of great role models at, at Denton's. And that's one of the things um, that I do think our sector really is starting to get to grips with and starting to grow. So do you think that um, ultimately the responsibility lies with those senior figures in the organization to drive these sorts of initiative forward? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, I sat on um, the Institute for um, Inclusion in the Legal Professions panel, um, pre-COVID, obviously, um, where we were talking about these kind of things and how actually we can attract people to, to the profession and both on the business services and, and the legal side, but people sort of tend to get to, to late 20s, early 30s and leave. And one of the things that we were discussing is role models actually and advocates um, for females as well because I think the sector whether on the business services or legal side does demand long hours it it sort of demands people to be on um, a lot of the time and I think people get to a certain stage in their career where they're not sure if that's for them anymore so I think seeing other people who've managed it, being able to talk to those individuals as well about how they've managed those things, um, I think is, is a great way into, into changing the amount of females we attract and retain in the sector. Yeah, I, I think it's um, there's a lot to be said for as well, the fact that um, there are sort of discussions happening now um, sort of that maybe sort of five or 10 years ago used to be approached in a much more sort of people used to approach them in a much more uncomfortable way um whereas sort of nowadays it it feels a lot more comfortable to be having these types of discussions I think yeah I agree um I also think it's 
it's sort of since the reporting requirements of um, what the gender pay gap is, I think law firms all putting targets around number of females they would like on the board or number of females in partnership is actually the, the sector being honest that it's a problem, which therefore says, okay, this is a thing we need to talk about. It needs to be on our agenda. We have diversity and inclusion um, directors and, and staff now because it is a priority for firms. I think they recognize that having a diverse workforce, and this doesn't just include females, does add value to the organization. So it is actually quite important for our strategy. I think it's quite key for um, sort of people to look beyond the sort of people they're recruiting into the company, I suppose, and because people don't necessarily want to be considered as just, just a tick box exercise. Ultimately, they want to be known and they're being uh, hired for their quality as well, I think. Yes, yeah, definitely. You can't have go to sort of positive, um, positive discrimination either. I think it is about getting the right people in the right roles. But I do think in order to do that, people need to see others. And there are some fantastic female finance directors, I think, in the city. I haven't been fortunate enough to, to work for a female yet, but uh, I think that there, there are people, but they're still definitely in the minority um, across the city. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like there's um, a lot of good changes going around, um, which um, kind of brings us on to the next point, really, which I won't dwell on it for too long, but just around sort of this year of 2020, which obviously has been the year of COVID. Um, but I know that you kind of particularly feel that there's been a lot of lessons that we can learn from COVID and a lot of a lot of positives that we can take out of it as well. Absolutely. I think whilst it has been an unbelievably challenging year, um, I think that we have to give credit to the whole industry and say this is an industry that got itself up and running to provide seamless client service within a matter of 24 hours which had you asked anybody in IT finance any managing partner in the city do you think you could do it everybody would have said no um, so it really is testament to the resilience and actually our adaptability when put under pressure so I think what it it's really caused is a look towards innovation rather than lip service to innovation, which over the years we've been talking about it a lot. Um, it really has changed the way in which people work. So where you used to have to be in the office at 9.30, um, work till the job was done and go home. Actually, people's working days have changed quite a lot. So for example, this morning myself, I was, I was on a call at 8 a.m., um, but actually, when I get off the, the phone to you, Steve, I'm going to try and get out to, for a run, because if I don't, I, I won't see daylight today. But actually, when I was in the office, I never took a lunch break, but trying to, to make sure I have that sort of 40 minutes away from, from my house in a day has become quite important. And firms have really stood behind that. Um, at Denton's, we've done well-being surveys asking what it is that people like about working from home but equally what what the challenges are and how we can support people in taking time out actually having organized coffee breaks um, and making sure people block out time to have a lunch or do some exercise so I think that's a really important way of people recognizing people's mental health um, and what firms can do to support that um, in addition I think I think Taylor Westing have already come out and said about 
there's only going to be a requirement for people to be back in the office 50% after all of this. So where um, firms have been quite slow to change over the idea of flexible working, now it is really recognised that partners trust their employees and directors are trusting their employees as well to get the job done. So I think that could also help support on, on some of the diversity and inclusion things and women in the sector as well if the responsibilities and things can be shared and they're not commuting in uh, five days a week. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's quite important to sort of mention. I think we were talking earlier this year as well, just about a fact about the fact that if COVID had gone, come and gone, sort of in the space of a month, then it may be a case that we hadn't sort of learned all these new practices that we're adopting. So the fact that it has gone on so long, it's allowed us to sort of look at these other. Um, sort of options that we can take when it comes to sort of working practices and I think what you were mentioning about getting out during the day and doing some exercise rather than necessarily needing to be there for every single call that comes in and uh, rather than being there 24-7 like you say it's about the uh, companies having that trust in the employees as well. Yeah definitely Um, I I think I think it's become obvious that whether you're in the office or at home if you're not doing your job it, it is everybody will know about it. Whereas I think people used to fear that if they couldn't see somebody, then they weren't doing their job. Um, But I think it takes out the element of FaceTime, which I think was already disappearing. But actually now it's all about businesses being output orientated. What what are people delivering? And it's what I look for in people that work for me. Um, I know my my manager looks for it in me as well. And I think that's a really good thing because it encourages people to be efficient. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, um, it's been fantastic for you to share your time with us today, Camilla. Um, and I think it's uh, given us some really sort of real positivity going into 2021. But yes, yeah, so I just wanted to thank you for um, all the time you've uh, given up to do the podcast today. No problem at all, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.